the book of Genesis, and if you turn with me to the chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. What a comfort for God's people is found in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Now, when I was not saved, that wasn't very much appreciated. But when the Lord saved me, that was greatly appreciated that he provided this information to me about himself And he didn't go through a long process trying to prove it. It was simply a declaration. He declared in the beginning God. And we find there in in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now our message this morning is going to be found in nine verses of scripture in this first chapter. And we'd like to entitle it, And God Said. Now that's where our hope is, what God has to say about it. That's where this man that knew something declared. He declared the word of God. He didn't try to make it better. He didn't try to doctor it. He didn't try to put sugar on it. He just declared the gospel. And it was an offensive word to me because I was so caught up in my own works. And in religion, we are caught up in our works. We are working to approach God on our own righteousness. And then after we're saved, we find out that the Bible says... Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not going to approach God. We must have his righteousness. You know, he has to do something for us about our sin. We don't go a day without recognizing that we have some frailties and we find out that we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice and sinners by choice. So something has to be dealt with. Our sin has to be dealt with. And we also must have a righteousness that is above our righteousness. We must have the righteousness of Christ. And then we also need a spiritual nature. Without it, we'll not see God. You must be born again. That's what God said through his servant, John. You must be born again. Without it, you cannot see God and you cannot see the kingdom of God. So we must have a spiritual nature. Well, every bit of those three things are tied up in the work and ministry of Almighty God and we're not participants in it. We're recipients of it. We are blessed by grace in Christ Jesus. He takes care of all of those three issues that are so needful for us to ever see God. We find here in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and I would like to uh, read there in verse 3. Nine times in this chapter, these words are recorded. And God said. Then we'd like to spend a little time in other places in the Bible that shares with us that the word of God is really powerful. It is not just a suggestion. It is powerful. It is overcoming, overwhelming. He does things by his word that we can't even think about doing. Sometimes we mouth the words hoping that they will be as effectual as the word of God, but they don't, and they're not. So here in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, and God said, now he didn't have to vocalize it, but he recorded it as if he did. And he says here something that is so powerful, let there be light. And you know the results of that? And there was light. When God speaks, there is going to be things happen. 
when God speaks here, he said, let there be light. Now, as in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it tells us in verse 2 that there were some problems. I can't understand all that's written in verse 2, but I believe it, and I find the result is God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then if we look in verse 6 of this same chapter, and God said, let there be a firmament. You know, as we go down through here, we find exactly how God saves his people from their sins. He enlightens us and lets us know that there is stability only in God. There's a firmament. There is a rock, a foundation rock, a sound rock, a rock that he establishes upon. It tells us in the book of the Psalms that he takes us out of a horrible pit. Now, the more we go through life, the more we find out what a horrible pit we were in. If we're believers, we find out that, oh my gosh, it's worse than I thought. When we read the scriptures about the fall of man, it turns out it's worse than we thought. It's, it's more than just saying a lie. It's more than just thinking something. It's our heart that has a problem, and it cannot be taken care of by ourselves. So it's a bad situation. Well, we find we must have a foundation, and he takes us out of a horrible pit and sets us on a solid rock. Well, that solid rock, as we are established in Christ Jesus, so it gives us a firmament. He settles us. We're no longer on slippery ground. We're no longer on a slippery slope. We're foundationed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has established our goings and put a new song in our heart. Well, there it says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, for me to explain all of that, I had someone say one time, uh, I think I'll build a model of the ark. I said, you can't do it with the word of God. A lot of things left out. You know why? Because if we could, we'd make an idol out of it. There's a lot of things left out in God. God let the children of Israel have a brazen serpent, and that brazen serpent in type and shadow and in reality was a deliverance to a lot of people that had been bitten by snakes. You know what they were doing 400 years later with that brazen serpent they were bowing down to it and worshiping it hezekiah came along ground it up and strawed it on the water and made him drink it people are funny aren't we we'll worship anything and god has a great way of preventing us from doing it let's just share i'll make an ark here's the length the width the breadth and how many floors it's going to have and i'll put a door in it and i'll bring all the animals in it and i'll put all the humans that i want in it eight people and i'll deliver them Okay, God, thank you. That's all information I needed. Well, it goes on here in verse 4, or verse 9 of this chapter. It says, God called the firmament, or verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together and unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God said, God said. Nine times in this chapter we find these words, God said. There must be some glorious things about what God has to say about things. It is far more important what God has to say than what we have to say about it. Because we'll always come to a wrong conclusion if left to ourselves. All right? It tells us there in verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the Lord upon the earth. And it was so. Let the grass grow, let the trees grow, and they will bring forth after their kind. Do you know he is stipulating here a system that he will work all things by? 
Everything will bring forth after its kind. When Adam fell, what could only be, what is the only product that could be produced when Adam fell? Sons and daughters after his kind. They had the same fallen nature. They were in the same condition that Adam was, and that is dead in trespasses and sin. Now, we have a problem by nature. We're dead in trespasses and sin, and there is only one hope for us, and that's what God said. Let's go on here for just a moment. It tells us in verse uh, 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven and divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God said, let there be stars, let there be planets. You know, some of the pictures that we get back from, is it the Hubble telescope? There might be another one. I mean, you cannot, in, in your mind, cannot conceive how huge the universe is. It is absolutely huge. Light years. We, it's unmeasurable. We cannot come to the end of it. And yet, out there in a place in space is an insignificant sphere that has water and land, and God put human beings on it. Out of all the mass, he had a planet according to the election of grace. Nowhere else is there anything even comparable to it. Oh, we can have, maybe there was life on Mars. We found some ice. Maybe there's life here. Maybe there's life here. There's life here on this earth because God put it here and there is only eternal life granted to people that are on this earth because God put it that way. So let there be lights in the heavens. Just reflect on it from time to time. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. And only the fool will say in his heart, no God. And then it says in the next verse that God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did seek after him that would follow him. And this is his commentary on it, not mine. He found none. So he's going to have to do something in order for anybody to ever be in the kingdom of heaven. It's up to him because we cannot accomplish it. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We have this blight and it is so effective in us that we cannot think a spiritual thought. We cannot, we cannot read the Bible with any, make any sense out of it. It must be by revelation and that's what God does. All right, here in verse 20 of this chapter, it says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures. God said it. And then in verse 24 of that same chapter, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things. And it was good. And in verse 26 of that chapter, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea. You know, when we get to the next chapter, we find not only does it God, Elohim, that's what God is translated from. In the next chapter, we find Jehovah Elohim and he describes how he created man. He said he made man of the dust of the earth 
And he would have stayed in that condition till this day if it had not been for the next few words. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There was no life in that person. And you know what? He didn't take a vote about whether he wanted life or not. It was imposed upon him. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And then we find out that God made a covenant with him. The day you eat, you shall surely die. And when he ate, he died spiritually, instantaneously. And darkness was upon the face of himself. And he realized that he was naked. And we're in that condition today without Christ. And then finally, in verse uh, 29 of that chapter, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of a tree yielding seed you uh, to you, and you shall be for meat. Nine times in this chapter, God said. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, we find some more said about what God said. What he has to say is far more valuable far more spiritual, far more necessary than what we have to say. That's why a gospel preacher, the preacher that brought me the gospel, only used the word of God. He never put in philosophy. He never put in uh, doctrine in the sense of you have to have this done to you. You have to have that done to you. You know, Apostle Paul spent most of his time after he was saved talking about the things that you don't need for salvation. You don't need to be a Jew. You don't need circumcision. You don't need all these things that everybody's telling you about. You need Christ. You need the gospel. You need him. And here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, we find in verse 3 of that chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, these words. It says, who, this is speaking about Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by what? By the word of his power. How does this world stay together? How do the atoms stay together? How, how is it that this works out like it does? Because God, it says here, he upholdeth by the word of his power, he upholdeth all things, natural things, physical things, spiritual things. He is the all and in all that takes care of all things. Now, there's a bunch of people right now, they're scared to death about what's going on over there in Israel. I was talking to a man the other day. Can you imagine what it was in 1914 when the entire world went to war? And World War II when the entire world went to war? What people were thinking about that? You know, God has as much of an interest in electing a dog catcher as he does what's going on over there. He has them both in control. He knows exactly who's going to be elected as dog catcher because he appointed it, and he has knowledge of exactly what's going to go on over there. And he says, you will not find comfort in your flesh. You will not find comfort in your religion. You will not find comfort in your family over these issues. You will only find comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ when you realize that all of this is being worked out according to his determinate counsel and foreknowledge. Somebody is going to hear the gospel as a result of this. 
Everything happens for the purpose of somebody hearing the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace over every difficulty and everything that has ever happened. Will he start a war that his a lost sheep could hear the gospel? The word is absolutely yes, he will do that. A man in this congregation years ago said he was down on some island in the Pacific and he would have never, this is his words, God has the way of doing things, but his word, I would have never have heard the gospel except for World War II and my family that was in uh, Holland got me out of a hot spot. And eventually I got to the United States, got to a place in California and heard the gospel. Now that's not just one instance. God does everything that is absolutely required to get all of his lost sheep to hear the gospel of his free and sovereign grace. And he will do anything. He will move any mountain in order to do that. So Christian friends, don't be afraid. He's working out his good pleasure. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Go back to the Old Testament for just a moment, if you would, over here in the, in the Psalms again. In the book of the Psalms, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. And verse 6. Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord. Did you catch that? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake. And it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He spake, and it was done. That's God. I, have you ever wished you had that power? <laughs> oh, sometimes with my kids, I wish I'd had that power. <laughs> Do what I say. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I did the same thing with my dad and mother. But God spake, and it is done. I'm thankful that he's that God that is authority and also the power to deal with his authority. He can say something. I can say something and have no emphasis at all to get it done. But God, when he speaks, he has the power to get it done. And when he said that he would save his people from their sins, how do we know that? His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He has the power and authority to do that. So he spake and it was done. And then in verse uh, 10, it says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations Blessed is the nation. And that word nation should have been translated as people because I've had people say, well, since we're not a Christian nation, we've never been a Christian nation. We may have had some people that believed in Christian principles, but no nation has ever been a Christian nation. But a people, notice here, blessed is the people whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. That's the blessed people. 
are those he has chosen for his own inheritance. Well, let's look at a few places in the scripture where God spoke and marvelous things took place, particularly upon humanity. So if you turn with me over to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 1, the book of Mark chapter 1, we find that the Lord spoke and it marvelous things takes place. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. When he speaks, things take place. He's all-powerful, almighty. He is in control. He takes things seriously because he is a serious God, and he has created all things for his glory. Here in the book of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 40, it says these words. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, And there came a leper. I've never met a leper. But from biblical reading, I find out it is not a very pleasant disease. I think of the big C today is comparable. Cancer. It's more comparable. It's something that I can think about. I've never known anybody that was a leper, but I know a lot of people that have had cancer and a lot of people that have passed this world due to that. And it wasn't by mistake. Never think that it's a mistake. God is working all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, sometimes it chafes our flesh, but God is in control. All right, here it says, there was a leper. To, there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, this man has had a lot of understanding. Someone has told him about this man. Someone has been an evangelist and said, this man has great power. Someone has come to him and said, if you go talk to that man, you'll have, maybe have something done. Did you notice his words, though? If thou wilt. He didn't say, I've been told that you're going to fix me. No, he said, if thou wilt. And that's how someone comes to God. That's how someone comes to Christ. If thou wilt. You can have mercy on me. Mercy is never demanded. Go into a court of law and demand mercy. You're asking for mercy. Judge, have mercy on me. I know I'm wrong. I've done wrong. Have mercy on me. Now it's up to the judge whether he's going to have mercy on you or not. He could simply say, no, I'm not. Or, you know, I've decided I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm commuting your sentence. You're free to go. Well, here a leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. He's a leper. He's got a terrible disease. You know what he had to say to the Lord before he could ever approach him? Unclean, 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 unclean. That's what he had to say. He was a leper. And then Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. What a statement we read. Just the same power that God created the heavens and the earth is the power that the Lord exercised in his own personal ministry when he met people and healed them. By the word of his power, he took a leper and cleansed him. This man no longer had that leprosy in his body. It was the will of God that was exercised here. If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. I'd like to be clean, but it's up to you. Well, God have mercy on my soul, if you please. 
Let's look at another in the book of Mark again, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, we read these words. Verse 39. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. Have you ever wished you could stop the wind? (laughs) We live in a very windy area. At Columbia Gorge, we either have wind going from east to west or west to east. And sometimes it's just a breeze and sometimes it's stronger than a breeze and sometimes it's very hard wind. And there, you know, you have certain things planned. We had the, you, uh, the world, the world uh, surfboard competition or what do they call it? Parasail competition there at Hood River because it's windy all the time. Five days, the wind didn't blow. For five days, they they had to call it. And other days, we have wind, and we wish, oh, man, could it settle down? You know, there is one person that can take our troubleness. As we read here, verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind. What does he do with our troubledness in salvation? He rebukes it. And he says unto the sea, peace be still. You know what he said to Peter after Peter denied him three times? Well, the next thing he says to him is, peace be unto you. The Lord brought peace. This is what he does. He speaks peace to us. Oh, I spent years in agony in religion, wondering whether I was saved or not. I used to go fishing, and Lord, if I'm saved, let me catch a fish. Isn't that silly? My goodness, that, you look back, that's just plain silly, but it was serious business to me. I was lost as a goose and didn't know anything about salvation until I heard the gospel. And you know what? He has given me peace. He settled the wind. He's put me on a solid rock. He's He counsels me every day from his word. He comforts me every day from his word. And even when I'm not in his word, even in the night seasons, he comes and we get to thank him for his goodness to us that he's he's given peace. Settle the issue. I'm no longer at enmity with God. And he, I found out he had an everlasting love for me. Never was his wrath against me. His wrath is against those without Christ. He chose me in the council halls of eternity and wrote my names down in the Lamb Book of Life. And he says, I promise I'll never have any wrath towards you. I'll pour out all my wrath that you deserve on my son on the cross. And he will take my wrath. He will take my indignation. He will take my punishment. And that's exactly what he did. And he is a savior that actually saves his people from their sins. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and golly, we thank God for it. Oh my. I'm not, I'm not upset all the time anymore. You know, we get concerned. But we don't have to be upset because we think, where do I stand? Where do I stand? Oh, let's look at another one. Or again, in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, just the next chapter here, Mark chapter 5, 
We read these words, Mark chapter 5 and verse 41. And God said, here it says in Mark chapter uh, 5 and verse 41, and he took the damsel by the hand. This young girl had died. Boy, if there's any, any place. She was physically dead, just like we're spiritually dead. And there was no ability in herself to ever raise her out of that condition. Spiritually speaking, there's nobody that can raise us out of this condition that we're in by nature. We go to religion for it. We go to a preacher for it. We go to a priest for it. We go to this. We go to that. We get involved in church. We clean up the yards. We do all those things hoping. And then the Lord shows us that there is only one place where we can have this. And it's found here in this verse of scripture, verse 41. He took the damsel by the hand and said unto her. Now, he didn't ask her to repeat anything. He didn't ask her to come forward. He didn't ask her to bow down. He didn't ask her to do anything. You know, we find often in the scriptures, there may be an entire crowd around the Lord Jesus, but he is alone with one individual. That's how he does his business, is alone with us. Get alone with God. <laughs> alone. And this is what he said, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted. Damsel, young lady, I say unto thee, Arise, and look, look at the next verse. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was the age 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. I've often wanted to ask these guys that say they can heal people, go down to the mortuary, then I'll think about it. <laughs> they never go there. They know it's impossible. With the Lord, it is possible. Nothing is impossible. And by his word, he said unto her. Now that, that translation there is Chaldean. You know, the Lord is, he speaks to us in our language. Where we are. That man that was from Ethiopia, out there in that chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, we find that Philip went up to him and where he was is where he met him. And he met him and he said, what, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I know anything unless someone teach me? And he got up there and read the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, or part of it, and said, beginning at the same place, he declared unto him Jesus. That's the key. The scriptures declare Christ. And so this one Christ, by the word of his power, raised a young lady from the dead. That's what he does when he saves us from our sin. He really spiritually raises us from the spiritual dead and gives us that spiritual life that we absolutely need in order to meet him. We have to have the sin problem dealt with. And he dealt with the sin problem at the cross. We have to have our righteousness dealt with and he imputes his righteousness to us, and we have to have a spiritual being to, in order to meet God, and he gives us that spiritual being when he says you must be born again, and those that are, are created a new spirit in Christ Jesus, a new spiritual 
in Christ Jesus. All right, look with me, if you would, in chapter 9 of the book of Mark and verse 25. Mark chapter 9 and verse 25. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. You know, a lot of a lot of movies deal with demonology, and a lot of people are involved in demonology. And I've I've ever even been around preachers that, uh, oh boy, I was in one of those things where they cast out demons. You know what? There's only one that can do that. And he deals with our demon. He deals with our nature. He deals with us. And the person who says, I was not a demon before, I was not a disturbed before, is a liar. We are our own worst enemy. We by nature are our own worst enemy. We will not bow. We will not come. It takes God to do that. And then we thank him. But here's an instance where a demon is dealt with. It says, when Jesus saw that the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him. You know, God, what he does for us when we're saved (laughs) He takes care of every problem that we have. Everything that we've ever inherited in Adam, he takes care of it. Oh, foul spirit. We never had a clean thought about God. We never had a clean thought about his word. We never had a clean thought about God's people. And he comes and demands. He commands thou foul spirit come out. That's what happens when we're born again. He takes care of all the issues. In uh, chapter 7 of the book of Luke. Chapter 7 of the book of Luke. In chapter 7 of the book of Luke, in verse 14, we have again, there is somebody, this is a young man. I've said this, I think, a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again, and I may have said it here. There's many ways that we have of describing things. That's a good thing, that's the best thing, and that's that's good thing, best and best. We qualify. But you know what? When it comes to dead, we never have to qualify anything. Nobody is dead, deader, and deadest. <laughs> we don't have to qualify. We're all graveyard dead when we're dead. And here, again, God deals with a dead person. Now, he's showing us that he deals with dead people. He's, by demonstration, by spiritual application, he's showing with us, us that even though in our youth, in our middle age, or in our old age, The only one that can bring life to us is God Almighty. The only one that can breathe life into us is God Almighty. And he does that here. And he says, and he came and touched the beard. Now that's the thing they're carrying this young man out to the graveyard. He's uncovered. He's probably got some clothes on and he's probably got some flowers on. And this is their culture. They take him out to the graveyard and bury him. However, they did it in their culture. But on the way to his Final resting place, we call it. The Lord Jesus came and he said that to him that bear the uh, him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. 
What a miracle, and that's the grace God gives to everyone he ever saves. He raises us from the dead. And you know, the one that just speaks volumes is over in the book of John chapter 11 by the name, a man by the name of Lazarus. This man's been dead so long, even his sister says, there's no hope until the final resurrection because already he stinks. You know, the Bible tells us that our sin is a stench to the nostrils of God. We stink. There's not a good thing that we can do and there's not a good thing that we can do. God must do it. Well, let's just look here. A couple other places of Scripture and then we'll close. Here in the book of John chapter 11, verse 43. You know this account. Read this whole chapter at your leisure, but verse 43. John chapter 11, verse 43. It's interesting. Lazarus is sick. He gets word of it. He's healed people from a long distance before, but he doesn't. He doesn't leave early to get over there in time before he dies. He stays there for two more days. God is sovereign. He works all things after the counsel of his own will, and he's going to just let Lazarus die. Now his disciples, he tells them he's asleep, and they say, well, he's doing better if he's sleeping. No, he goes ahead and says, he's dead. So let's go. And there it says in verse 43, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. You know what they wanted to do with Lazarus now? They wanted to kill him. They plotted to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he was a demonstration of God's almighty power. The world cannot stand God in action. God doing things that he determined to do. And so they plotted against him. Well, he's alive just like God raises us from the dead. There was a preacher up there just across the river in Washington from us that said this in a sermon. Lazarus had to consent to be raised from the dead. Can you imagine how idiocracy that is? Man doesn't understand death. Lazarus didn't have any consent in the matter. He's just like us. If a consent to, was for us to make, we'd never make it. We're thankful that God gets involved and takes care of business and then raises us and then says, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, you know, in John chapter 19 and verse 30, the Lord spoke again and he said, it is finished. Redemption is finished. It's over. Nothing else is to be added or, or uh, made in any way. God the Son declared it. God said, the work, all the work is the Lord's. He left nothing undone, no work of mine, of Songwriter put it, complete in thee, no work of mine, 
could take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. God said, let there be light. And God said, Lazarus arise. And God is active and doing his bidding. And when he says the last time to the last lost sheep that is in this world, born or unborn, he'll wait because he's long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. He will wait till that last one is born. And when that one comes to an age that hears the gospel, this is going to be wrapped up like a curtain. And it doesn't matter whether they build a temple. It doesn't matter who's at war. That will be the end. And the church says, thank you, Lord. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Brother.